0: If you'd like to follow along in scripture this morning, we're gonna be in Exodus, uh, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter twenty this morning. We're continuing our look at how we can know and understand and what we're able to 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 put in place in our lives about who is God. It seems like such a fundamental question. It seems like something that, that we should have sort of all completely reconciled in our own minds and in our own lives. Well, I'm, I follow God, so I know exactly who he is. But actually, when, when we try to like, take some steps backwards to understand who is God... It actually can be one of the most difficult and one of the most challenging concepts to be able to pin down and understand and put in place to be able to say, well, this is who God is. And so since the beginning of the year, we've been looking at just different ways of trying to put together this puzzle of looking at who is God. And this week, we're going to take a look at at a characteristic or an attribute, not that someone else says about God. Not that somebody, well, this is who God is. But we're going to look at something that, that God himself says, this is who I am. And it's important that I note that for you. Because it's really important that you understand that it's God who says this about himself. Because if I was to tell you that I think God is this, or if someone else was to say, you know, I really think one of the the core attributes of who God is, is this. Our natural instinct, your natural instinct, might be to push back on that a little bit. Might be to say that that's not the right word to use. That that's not a good word to talk about God with. You need to go back and thesaurus.com come up with something else that might mean the same thing. But there's a lot of baggage attached with that word and and that can't be the right word to use, And so this is why we need to understand, and we're going to walk through this, and we're going, to, we're going to break it down so that we can understand and really see what's being said here. But we need to start with, God says this about himself. And so instead of having the kind of natural reaction we're going to have to have about this, we're going to be forced to, to rethink how we respond to an idea like this. And so this is where we come, at the the beginning of our time, we're going to come back to here a few times throughout uh, the service. We're going to move to a bunch of different texts, but we are going to come back to Exodus chapter 20 a bunch of times. And so we're going to just read the first few verses of Exodus chapter 20. And it says, and God spoke all these words. So I want to just stop for a moment. Who spoke all these words? And how many of the words did he speak? And how many is all? All is all, right? So when when God spoke all these words, it's God who spoke them. He spoke them all. And that means all of them. So, verse 2 will go on to say I, the Lord, or I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an, or an, or an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God that's not the kind of word that we're probably comfortable using about God. But that's, that's not a word. The word jealous is probably not a word that we're really like, you know what I really love about God? He's holy. He's loving. He's faithful. He's jealous. I don't know that I've ever heard Someone use a term or use this word about another person in any kind of positive way. That we've never heard somebody say, oh, oh, don't worry about it. They're a really jealous person. Oh, okay, great. I, I was worried that, that they might not be jealous. Oh, thank goodness. You know, it, 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 for all of the single people here, where on the list of like, qualities that you would be looking for in someone to go on a date with would you have to go down your list before you were looking for and they're really jealous we we don't use this in a positive way but i also want to be careful because even though it uses this word here, is there, is there something somewhere else we can go to, to, to confirm this? Just, just to make sure that we're using this word properly. Well, well, let's jump ahead to Exodus 34. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. We'll be back to, to Exodus 20 in a minute, although you're welcome to. It's probably not that many pages. Um, but we'll see in verse 10, it will say this. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. So Who is speaking? The Lord, right? The Lord, the Lord said. So the Lord is speaking. Now we're going to jump down to verse 14. Same paragraph. The quotation marks start where it says, I am having a covenant with you. They do not end before we get to verse 14. Verse 14 says this. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. That doesn't... Just inform the other one. It kind of doubles down on the other one. God says that God's name is jealous. And then, re- and just in case you're wondering, or just in case you're a little bit confused, he then doubles down. The, the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Well, something that sometimes is a really helpful exercise. As we try to, you know, maybe dig through some of these, like, confusing doctrines, these confusing things in Scripture, sometimes what can be really helpful is to go back to the original languages. Because sometimes when we translate, English is, is a big language, and sometimes when we translate words, well, we don't always get the, the gist of, of what the word means. What, what did it mean in its original language, when it was originally spoken, when it was originally recorded? What does that mean? So we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 20, where it says, where it says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What's the original Hebrew word here translated as jealous? Well, the word is this, and it's pronounced kana. And what does it mean? What what depths can we plumb from the Hebrew word kana? What does it mean? Um, It means jealous. There's not even multiple definitions it, it has one, one simple definition. Okay, well, well, let's jump to Exodus 34, verse 14 again, because maybe there's something there. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous god. So, so let's look at the second usage first, because we'll, we'll come back to the name of God, because that's really significant. But let's find out if the second usage of, of jealous or of, of kana means something unique. What does it mean? Who who's who is a jealous God? What does it mean? Well it's the same word. Kana. It, it just means jealous. Okay, well what about where it talks about the name of God? You know, the names of God are significant. The names of God in the Bible. And this isn't somebody saying God's name is jealous. This is God saying my name is Is jealous. There must be something here that means something deep that we can take away from our life, and we can plumb and we can understand the depths of. You can probably guess, Kana. That just means jealous. There's no Hebrew word picture. There's no well in Hebrew what it really means. It means exactly what we think it means when it says the word jealous. It looks like we're, we're not going to get away from this one. Imagine again we're talking about a person here. Imagine again we're talking about a blind date. You're wanting to set one of your friends up who's single on a blind date. And you say to them, oh, and you're not going to believe it. They're such a jealous person, their name may as well be jealous. These are not things... There's no context where we understand that that this and be like, oh, well, the good spin on... This is a word that means jealous. And so how do we wrestle with this? Because remember, we talked about how God isn't just loving, but God is love. And so that means that everything that God does, everything that God is, is informed by the fact that he is love. And we talked last week about how how God is holy, that he is righteous, that everything he does is perfect. And so if God is love and God is holy... How then does the next part in our sermon series go to a word that seemingly has no real retributive meanings? That God is love, God is holy, God is jealous. How do we reconcile this? So so let's wrestle with this. Our answer for the question this week who is God? God is jealous. You can put that in your notes. You can put a little question mark next to it if you're still feeling a little uncertain about where we're going with all of this. Put a little question mark in brackets. Maybe, I don't know. But really, the understanding, that there's one key thing to understand as we talk about this concept of of God being jealous and and what that means for us. And it's that as we look at this idea of, of God speaking about his jealousy, that there's one important context that it shows up in Every single time. And so we're going to go back to Exodus. We're going to go back and read those in a couple more passages. Where it says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus 34 says, Do not worship any other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. And even 40 years after this, after th- th- these are this is given this is part of the 10 commandments given to God at the beginning of the Exodus. And 40 years later at the end of the Exodus when they're about to enter into the promised land, Moses gets up and he rereads the law and re-informs this new generation that's about to enter into the promised land. He gets up and he reminds them of who God is and in Deuteronomy chapter 4 we read Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. And two chapters later in Deuteronomy chapter 6 it says, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Clearly, as we talk about God being a jealous God, there's one very consistent context that we're given. That it has to do with our worship. It has to do with who and what we're worshiping. That over and over again, right before we read that God is a jealous God... Say, don't worship anything else. and Say it in different ways. Don't worship idols. Don't worship anything created. Don't worship anything on heaven or on earth. Don't worship anything else because I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. To the point where we read that the anger that can come from his raised jealousy when it comes to who we worship could cause him to destroy the people from the face of the land. That's some pretty pretty serious stuff. That's that's a big deal. God created us to worship him and him alone, and he isn't willing to share his worship with anything else. And so we need to unpack this, though. What does this mean for us? Because I'm going to assume that for many of us, on the surface, in the life we live, in the place we live, in how we live, That if we were to to say ask for a show of hands, well, who struggles with what we've read in the Ten Commandments? Who struggles with what we've read so far? Many of us may feel like, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I I don't have any idols in my home. I, I don't have any golden calf statues at my house. I don't have little knick-knacks and little things that, that somehow they, they substitute for God. I don't have statues of other gods. I don't struggle with any kind of inclination towards another god or, or towards another religion. I don't want to worship statues and I don't want to worship golden cows. And as we read through some of the openings of the, the Ten Commandments, we can get a little puffed up. Or even arrogant because those opening Ten Commandments seem like they're no problem. You you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, good, got it. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Check, check, check. Moving on, no problem. I, I don't have an idol. I don't, I don't have the high places built in my, you know, I, I, there's nothing that you, we can point to. But the issue for us isn't perhaps that we're, we're tempted by the gods of the Canaanites. That, that, that may not be an issue in your life. That, that as you read through the Old Testament, and you read through Joshua and you go, you know, these guys seem to have some good points. We're, we're maybe not... Tempted by the gods of the Egyptians. That, that were, oh, well, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, I don't know exactly where my, my allegiance is. But where our worship goes, that might be an issue. Because there's one other place that I want to look at in this concept of idolatry in the Bible. And we find this in Jeremiah chapter 16. God speaks to Jeremiah about the people being sent into exile. Jeremiah is God's prophet. He is talking to the nation of of Israel about what's going to take place. And what's going to take place is that they're going to be brought into exile as punishment for their sins. And so God is having a conversation with Jeremiah. And God says this to Jeremiah in chapter 16 verse, verse 10. When you tell the people all this, so when you tell them what's going to happen, when you tell them why what's taking place and all of these things, and, and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster on us? When they, when they say, well, okay, but why? What, what, what's happening? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, it is because... Your ancestors forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. Oh, idolatry. They looked at other gods. So we're being punished for the sins of our fathers. Okay, got it. But you have behaved more wickedly than your ancestors? More wickedly? What could they have possibly done? That's like all of the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Their fathers did it all. What what is more wicked than turning their back on God and following another God? What could be more wicked than that? See how all of you have followed the stubbornness of your evil hearts instead of obeying me. In essence, God says, well, you're being taken into exile because your fathers, they followed other gods. But you have done something much worse than that. You have made yourself above me. You're following your own heart instead of me. See, in God's eyes, do you know what's worse than bowing down to a golden calf? When our stubborn hearts refuse to listen to God's word. When we become the object of worship. When we allow ourselves to become the idol. I don't struggle with an idol to some other God somewhere, but boy, can I struggle with me. See, gods out there may not be an issue for you, they may not be an issue for me, but in here, they may be an issue. See, our idols become ourselves. We become the idol that informs our relationship with God. We, we don't place other things above God. We know that's wrong. I know that's wrong. you know that's We all know that's wrong. But sometimes we place ourselves above God, not because we don't know it's wrong but sometimes because we want to be there. We place ourselves as the ultimate source of truth in our lives. The danger that we can have in idolatry comes when we set ourselves up as the authority in our life by setting our own standards of right and wrong. We steal that authority from God, choosing our own standards and beliefs. We stop listening to what God says in his word and instead follow the idol of self. We sang earlier this morning, all my songs I sing to you. For the most part, unless I don't really want to sing that song now to you but I'd rather sing a song about me we don't make an idol of another God but we take God and we make him in our image we we don't worship another God but we worship ourselves above God we we, and we end up setting up a system in our lives where, where God becomes subject to us I am good with being a follower of God. I am good with doing what God has called me to do. I'm I'm comfortable giving my life to God as long as... When we look at what we would like and want out of our lives, what we want to do, where we want to do it, how we want to do it, who we want to do it with, and our wants and our preferences become our priority over what God wants. And for us to listen to God, the first question we ask is, yeah, but do I want to do that? But is that really what I want to do? And if what I want and what God wants are not the same thing, then God needs to go back to the drawing board. By setting our own wants and plans above God's call on our lives, we, we steal that worship from God when we start to think that we know more about God and about us and what is right, the right thing for us and for the people around us, when we we look at what God, and when we, when we look at God and we start to think that maybe we know a little bit more than maybe some things than God seems to, that, that maybe we're just a little smarter, maybe we're just a little wiser than God, maybe we know a little more about what's good for me or good for people or we know a little bit more about the human condition and if God really really knew what we really know, then maybe things would be just a little different. By setting our own knowledge and thoughts above God, we, we steal the sovereignty from God. When we look at God's word and, and we start to pull out the parts that we don't like or, or that not in line with what I think God should be or what I think God should do or what I think God should want, so, so we'll just ignore that part or we'll take that part out or we'll decide that scripture isn't actually what scripture says about itself. By taking the word of God and, and making it read like it's our word, we steal the power from God. When we take God and we make him in our image, when we make ourselves over God, we set ourselves up as idols in our lives. So how do we keep ourselves in check? I don't want to present you with a problem and then be like, well, now go home and deal with it. Enjoy your lunch, everybody. Thanks for coming. How do we make sure that God is is where he's supposed to be in our lives? And more importantly, how do we keep ourselves where we're supposed to be in our lives? The answer to the self-idolatry that exists inside all of us is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians, where Paul will write this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This passage, historically, is known as the Carmen Christi. That, that's what this passage in, in second, or Philippians chapter two is called. And these verses that Paul writes here, they're thought to be essentially an early church hymn, a creed statement from, from the very, very, very beginning of the church. That this would be like us coming and me preaching and me saying to you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That Paul was communicating that, that same sort of thing. That from the very beginning of the church, this is what people believed about God. And in these verses, Paul tells us that we're to have that same mindset that was in Jesus Christ. That he made himself nothing. It's hard to worship yourself if you've made yourself nothing. He humbled himself. Hard to worship ourselves when we've humbled ourselves. When Jesus laid down his life, Jesus paid for our sin, including our idolatry. But he also showed us that we're to lay down our lives instead of worshipping them. The gospel of Jesus is in direct opposition to our self-idolatry that exists in each one of us. And it's the antidote It lifts our eyes from ourselves to our Savior Jesus. It lifts our eyes from from ourselves to our Father God, the one truly worthy of all of our worship. This part of God, this attribute of God, doesn't wrap itself up so nice and neat like the last couple we looked at where it was sort of like, and here's four takeaways to bless your life because of who God is. This one doesn't wrap itself up in that same way. Instead, this part of God, this part of who God is, stands as a constant challenge and reminder for our lives. For us to ensure that God, for all that he is, and for all that he has done for us, stays in the right place in our lives. I'm going to Pray to close, and then I'm gonna invite the the worship team to come, and we're we're gonna close with singing I Exalt Thee again. Um, I think that that's a a really good way to close this off, to be able to declare for thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou, O Lord, art high above other gods, and declare with our hearts and our lives that we exalt him above everything else. So I'm gonna pray, And then we're going to to close off our time together that way. So let's pray. Father God. David said in the scripture. God search me and try me. And see if there be any wicked way in us. Or in, in me I guess. But God I pray that for us. That you would search us, try us. And show us God the places in our lives. Where without realizing it we've put you below us, where we, we've put our own wants, our own desires, our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own stuff, and said, God, this is who you need to be for me. And that somehow we've allowed ourselves to fall into a sin of idolatry without even realizing we've gotten there. And God, I thank you that even as you may answer that prayer in our lives right now to be showing us these things, God, I am so grateful that in this moment, God, you will not leave us there. You will not somehow just be like, there, fix it. But God, I thank you that the Holy Spirit does not lead us to guilt, and it does not lead us to shame. It leads us to change. And so, God, I thank you that in each one of our lives, God, we cannot leave this place under the weight and the guilt of somehow, oh, what have I done? What a wretch I am. But, God, I thank you that we can leave with a hope that says, God can make beauty out of this mess. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to turn our hearts towards you this morning. Offer up our lives to you as a living sacrifice. As we we sang this morning, that our lives would be a symphony unto you. God, that we would give ourselves over to you. That you would be able to make us and refine us into the people that you've called us to be. And that we would be able to tear down the high places, tear down the idols, and tear down all of the things that stand between you and us in our lives. That we would be able to love you with all our strength, all our mind, all our heart, and all our soul just the way you've called us to. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: God is on the throne.
0: Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose and know his power in their lives and we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church we're a family not by blood but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.